Amen. We're going to be in John's gospel this morning, John chapter 8. We're going to be beginning uh, in verse 12 in just a moment as we enter a new series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're really going to be looking and diving into these seven very particular and distinct I Am statements that are embedded in the heart of the gospel of John to see who Jesus really says that He is. I was reading an article or a recent paper uh, by a philosopher named David Matheson. He's asking the question, what does it mean to know someone? And he talks about these two very distinct types of knowledge. One is this kind of impersonal knowledge that, that we have of like celebrities or, or, or other people. It's just information that we have, things that we know that reveal to us a number of things about that person, and yet we don't truly really know them. Because what we need to know someone is actually personal knowledge. It's the communication account, this, this real exchange, and not even just shared experience, but shared words of another's experience that causes us to know someone. And that might sound like the silliest and simplest thing in the world. But the reason a philosopher is writing about the difference between what it means to know about someone and what it means to actually know someone in this day and age is relatively profound. Because you and I, in so many ways, are societally disconnected and digitally connected that these two things in our brain conflate and they overlap and we fail sometimes to see the difference. We are so inundated, we are so bombarded with information that we feel as if those things that we know that are tangential and not even really a part of real lives and real relationships that we experience with one another, that those are the things that are actually personal to us. There's this other philosopher, this, this man who loved the Lord a ton. Uh, his name is William Inge, and he described it in this way. He essentially said, if I spend... Five minutes a day with God and 16 hours with the rest of the world. Is it any wonder that the rest of the world is 200 times more real to me than God? What's he saying? He's describing the fact that you're going to get like what you live with. The, what, the things that you expose yourself to, the things that you're a part of, those things are going to infiltrate your mind and really, really begin to form and shape you. And so, Matheson, the philosopher, says, look, we live in a world where we know tons of stuff. and We know tons of people, and we think that we really know them, but we only really know them if we know their true words. And here's the thing. You want to talk about somebody being known? Jesus is the most talked about person in history. People throughout history have claimed to know him. You and I study him daily. And you know what our longing is? Because I hear you say this and I say this. Man, I want to know him more and more. But if we're going to really truly know him, have a personal knowledge, it's really important for us to see these seven statements. Because in these statements, Jesus is telling us who he is in his own words from his mouth. So today, we're going to begin this series. We're going to see that Jesus is going to reveal who he is. It's going to move beyond mere metaphor. Not only what is said about him, but what is said by him, who he truly says he is. So the question for us today is this. 
as we read these verses, what does it mean for Jesus to say, what does it say about him, for him to say that he is the light of the world? John's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 20 together. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord, which we say together. Thanks be to God. Three distinct things. There are many, many, many more, but three distinct things for us to see in this text today. Number one, Jesus, who is the light of the world, he gives life to us. This is our union with, this is our relationship with God. Jesus gives life to us. Second, Jesus gives us vision to see others. Jesus gives vision to see others. As we walk in light, we have fellowship with one another. We have unity. So for Jesus to be the light of the world, there's unity that comes for us. Third, Jesus gives life to others as we reflect him. This is the unveiling that the light of the world does. So Jesus gives life to us. He gives vision to us uh, to see others. And he gives life to others as he reveals himself through us. Number one, uh, Jesus, the light of the world, gives life to us. This is our union with God. Here's the thing. Before we really even jump into this, i got to give you and, and walk with you through the background, the very setting in which this statement is said. Because what Jesus says when he says, I'm the light of the world, here's the reality. You and I read it, and we read it often in a very cursory manner as these just words that, that are just strung together as part of a sentence. And it's just information that you and I take in, but it's so much more profound than that. And the time and place in which Jesus says this says everything about it. Jesus' proclamation that he's the light of the world takes place on the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. You'll remember, after the Lord delivers his people, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, 42, God instructs Israelites in this one season, once a year, to live in tents for seven days. To live in tents for seven days. Why? Because it serves as a reminder of when God led his people. By his presence in the Sinai Desert. And they lived in tents. And as they lived in these tents, God provided for their needs. And it pointed to a time when God once again would tabernacle with his people. 
This is why in this very gospel, John writes in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word means to tabernacle, to be among his people. And John's saying that Jesus, the living God, has come to not only be with, but to rescue people from their sin. At this point in the feast, in John chapter 8, the feast lasts seven days, and there's a ceremony that happens called the illumination of the temple. There are these four giant lights, and historically, we, we, we think they're about 75 feet high. They're oil-fed lamps. And I want you to think about how high 75 feet is, and really the geographic structure and the layout of Jerusalem. There's no skyscrapers to block this light. These lamps shine so far that it was said that they illuminated the entire city. So what Jesus does in this moment is profound. These people that are waiting, longing, For the Messiah to come in the midst of this moment, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming his divinity, that he is one with the Father, that he is God. And because of this, he is the one who can give life. Now, the remainder of this passage, because we're really going to land in verse 12 today primarily, the remainder of this passage details some incredible things that reveal that Jesus is truly sharing his divinity. Because you see the combative nature of the Pharisees. Why are they railing against this claim that Jesus says, I'm the light of the world? Do you know why they're so offended? Do you know why they're so in awe and angered? To the point that they want to arrest him? Because they know that light is synonymous with life. Look at this. This is Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. For these Pharisees, for these followers of Yahweh, those who are Jewish, truly knew that light was equated with life. This is Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is a refrain that was so common that you would hear this in the temple and outside the temple during this very time. It was one of the most sung psalms of the Jewish people. They were trained to sing it from a young age and identified the Lord as light. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. These two things are corollary. Light and life, and God's glory, all intermingle together. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. All of these passages are passages that these Pharisees, these people, would have been steeped in. They would know. They would understand that one claiming to be light is one claiming to give life. And no more passage, no more story would be so resonant with these people that Jesus is speaking to than the story of the beginning of all things. Genesis chapter 1. 
Hear these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good. So what Jesus is doing this moment is not just calling back to Genesis with an echo and an illusion. It's more than that. He's saying that I am the pre-existent, preeminent God. That I'm the author of life. And that I give life. I give salvation. I'm not the one who simply come. I'm the one who's come to give life to those who trust in me, who believe in me. This is why John would say at the beginning of this gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I want you to think about what light does. It gives life. Plants, flowers bend toward the sun. You ever seen sunflowers? They bend to the sun. The arc of the plant is toward the sun that's giving it light, giving it nourishment. Take away light and life dies. Because you take away light, you take away photosynthesis. You take away these plants and you take away the food source of the animals. Then you take away our food source. It's a clear call not to be vegan. (laughs) Genuinely, light is the thing that gives life. Everything at survival. So you look back to verse 12 and you see this proclamation is so radical because Jesus is saying that whoever follows him will have the light of life. And that doesn't mean that they'll have something as a mere possession, but instead they're going to have eternal life, union with, relationship, not just to, but with God. And the word for life here means not only physical life, but it means spiritual life. It means salvific life. It means eternal life. Life that comes when we're reconciled to God by grace through faith. Jesus, the light of the world, gives us life. That's what he's saying here. He gives us union with God. Number two, Jesus, the light of the world, not only gives us life, union with him, but he also gives us vision to see one another. He gives us unity. Verse 12 says this, those who follow Jesus no longer walk in darkness. This means that those who cling to him, who trust in him, who rest in him for eternal life, they no longer walk in darkness, but they live in light. You hear this verse quite often at Christmas as the prophetic words of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. The people walked what? In darkness. They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. That light, the very glory of God in Jesus Christ, not just shows on them individually, but it reveals, it illuminates, it lights up everything around it so that we can see one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. 
You remember, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, and, and God being sovereign over our salvation in Ephesians 2, Paul describes in Ephesians 2 what it means to experience Christ. That we were once dead in our trespasses and our sins. We once walked in darkness, right? Look at what Ephesians 5 says and the gravity and the weight of this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is that same language from the beginning of Ephesians 2. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is so important. It's not just that we were kind of dark or we were near darkness or that we were in it occasionally. He says, no, we were darkness. That's what you were, but now you have the light of life. You walk as children of light. Because Jesus gives vision and illuminates us the opportunity to see other brothers and sisters and walk and live in unity. Notice that this is plural, not singular. Look at 1 John 1, 7. We're going to see what it means to walk in unity as we see one another in the light of Christ. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a serious and beautiful implication of what it means to live in the light, to live as children of light. This reveals that we're not alone, that we have fellowship with one another in Jesus. To live affected by, and not merely affected by, but indwelled with the light of the world means that we have Fellowship with one another. We see beyond ourselves. The light of light has illuminated us that I'm not alone. I'm created to glorify God with other people. Brothers and sisters that are the body, that are united to him. If we live in the light, we're to be unified in love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is the implication of being in the light and truly describes what we're commanded to do. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What does it mean for Jesus to give life to us as the light of the world? It means that we're called to love. Because I'm not living in that light if I am not loving my brother and sister. If I'm speaking poorly of them, if I'm judging them, if I'm failing to forgive them, if I'm not seeking reconciliation with them, I'm not living in the light. This is what 
we're called to, because Jesus is the light of the world, he's given us vision, not only for ourselves, but he's illuminated the fact that there's a body, and we have brothers and sisters, and we're to walk with love for one another in unity. Third, and finally, Jesus, the light of the world, gives life to others as we reflect him. The glory of God, the salvation of God is unveiled as we reflect the light of Jesus to others. For Jesus to say, I'm the light of the world, this is the implication. That his light has so entrenched us that other people have to see it. In addition to the prophets, the wisdom literature, the gospels, and the words of Paul, Peter understood darkness and night. If you look through the scriptures, you're going to find 250 examples, comparisons, and contrasts of darkness and light. From Genesis in the beginning to the very last chapter of Revelation. It exists there as well. And all in between. One of the most profound moments in this is in 1 Peter chapter 2. When he describes what you and I really are in community with each other. What God has done in rescuing us and saving us in Jesus Christ. What he's made us into. What we've been transformed into. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here is the purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is our calling. This is our purpose. We reflect Jesus and proclaim him. The implication is that because Jesus is the light of the world, now you and I share that light with others. We preach Christ crucified as Savior. The one who's brought us out of darkness into light. We speak light into the darkness that exists all around us. And I don't have to tell you how dark the world is. I don't just mean on the television. I don't just mean on your phone. I believe you're seeing it now in your life all around you the prophet Isaiah speaks and he's writing this thousands of years ago and it sounds like it's for today Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter Sounds like today because that's what today looks like. People doing horrible, heinous, evil things and calling it good. People labeling the things that are good to care for others that we seek to exhibit to the world, labeling us as insular. And closed-minded, and selfish. It's the world we live in, and it's dark. And we're called to see Jesus bring light and life to this world. 
a dying world as we reflect him. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And Paul presents to the church at Corinth a picture of what the world looks like. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So those who are dying can't see and experience the goodness of God in Jesus. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What's he saying? He's saying that the enemy has blinded people to the gospel. Go back to that Ephesians 2 chapter. That reference to the prince of the air, right? It's the enemy, it's Satan who is blinding the minds of unbelievers. There's something we do that you and I do that we're called to in the midst of that. And it's this, look into verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus as light and life to a dark and dying world. The very light that has shown in our life, we show it to others. I, I think, oh man, I think one of my favorite things about living in this community is walking outside at night. Because I grew up in this light-polluted, wild place called Hoover. Um, And I could never see the moon and the stars. And now every time I walk into my backyard, I can see the moon. And the wildest thing is, the darker it is, the brighter the moon shines. It's not nearly as dark as I think I perceive it to be at times. That moon is radiating light everywhere. You know why? Because its surface reflects light from the sun. The moon spends all day soaking up rays. And when the sun goes down... It reflects it. Here is the wildest thing. You know how much light that moon reflects? That moon that is so bright that illuminates the sky, about 3 to 12% of the light it absorbs is what it reflects. Just that much. Creates this vast light in the darkness. That's what you and I are called to. That's the opportunity that we have. That's the joy that we have because the light of the world has come to us. And Paul writes that Ephesians passage in 5 and he says, it's not just that we were in darkness, but that we were darkness. He says the counter, he says it's not just that You have light, but that you are light. You know what he's doing? He's quoting the very words of Jesus. This is Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. To people Jesus has spoken to who he describes as blessed. 
those who follow him, who trust in him, this is what he says about them. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not a bright option to a dark world. He is all of its light. There is no goodness apart from him. Jesus, the light of the world, does three incredible things just in this verse that we see. He gives us union. He gives us life. He gives us relationship with God. He gives us vision to see others, that we have relationship with God, not merely individually, but together, collectively, as the body of which he is the head. And additionally, we see that the light of the world unveils the glory of God through us as we reflect Jesus to others. So what does it mean for you and I that Jesus is the light of the world? What does that mean for us? And there's some people thinking, like, we're going to close with this little light of mine. No, we're not. And this is going to sound so cheesy when I say it to you, but it's not. Because Jesus said it. Go shine your light. It starts with remembering and recognizing that there is light in you. That God's life has come to you. That you are a living, breathing, reconciled to God reflection of God himself. And as you believe that, you can shine your light. What does that mean? Just, just go and be? Right? Just, just, I'm just going to go shine my light, just leave? In a sense, yes. Because of what God's done in you. But not just passively, actively. You want to let your light shine, you've got to do some things intentionally. I want to tell you this. Two people shared their story with me this week. Part of their story. What Christ has done in their life. And I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to legitimately tell you, it has changed my life. I mean, in a, in a practical sense. Hearing what God has done in the life of others, seeing his faithfulness has reminded me of his faithfulness to me. Seeing people be forgiven reminds me that I'm forgiven. Seeing people transformed by God reminds me, God, you transformed me in Christ. And there's someone in your life this week that needs encouragement. And you want to write the note, but it's 2023, so you don't write notes anymore. So I'll give you a pass. Text them. <laughs> Tell them. Tell them. Encourage them. Tell them that you love them. Moreover, tell them that God loves them. Make the phone call. Invite the person over for dinner. You have neighbors. 
Look, I moved, uh, there's some friends of ours that, that moved here. They just moved in the neighborhood yesterday. They moved from Panhandle to Florida. And they literally moved right next door to Tyler and Ashley Coppett. So application mode, man, you got to go love your neighbor. <laughs> you got no choice. Because they all know. Um, look, and let's actively go pursue others and help them experience the light of the gospel. And then this, look, we're called to love one another. And you're sitting in this room today, and you think you've got a good reason not to love somebody. That's your brother and sister. Because they've hurt you. They've wounded you. And right now, you want to pass to not love them. And here's what I would tell you. You need to forgive. And you don't need to stop there. You need to ask God to bless them. That they might experience the light of life. We're children of the light. So we ought to live like it. As our worship team comes and we prepare um, to sing and to magnify the name of Christ, um, Man, I want to remind you that, that after the benediction, uh, that our service doesn't end. Um, that there's an invitation, there's an opportunity to come and speak with myself and others about, man, hey, you might be in this place today where, where you're hearing these things, and, and despite how poorly it's preached, God is working in your heart. That the Spirit is causing you to believe in the gospel. That Jesus is not merely a historical figure, but that he's God. And you know you're separated from him in your sin, and he came to die for you. He was raised on the third day and has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's in charge and sovereign over all creation, and he loves you and he longs for you to know him. If that's you, if you're beginning to believe, man, after the benediction today, come, man, come talk to me. Let me pray with you. Um, I just I want I want to say really clearly because I think in some ways in our world lately this has just been a tenuous subject. Um, I haven't been to Asbury. I haven't been to Sanford recently. I'm watching and seeing. I think at this point with a very unskeptical eye. God do amazing things in our world. We call that revival. I think there are people that are here and at Liberty and at Redemption and North Shelby and all these other churches that long to experience a palpable expression of God's Spirit moving. And we need to ask for it. That He would do it. That He would move among us. This morning, that might be your prayer. I'll be honest, this, I, I've seen, even in recent days, been some dark, challenging things. But I want to encourage you 
that the true light has come into the world in Jesus Christ and the darkness has not overcome it. Can we celebrate that this morning and raise our voice in worship and sing to the Lord knowing that truth? If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, you've given us life through your Son, Jesus. Jesus, you truly are the light of the world. And we're a world that didn't want you. We rejected you. At every turn, we've said, no, we'll do it our way. And Lord, you've come after us. So God, this morning, would you remind us of your deep love for us? That your light is life. That we're meant to walk in that light and life with one another and reflect it to the entire world. To your glory. And for the good of those you love. Help us to be those that reflect your light to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.